Traditionally, we view missions as something we only do in foreign lands. But today's churches have a new challenge. Our neighborhoods are filled with diverse cultures of Americans in desperate need for the gospel of Jesus and life in His church. Most significantly, they need a gospel and a church that are faithful both to the scriptures and the cultural context of America. All right, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. We are in the midst of a series called Remission. And our goal is to focus on the church and her mission. We started two weeks ago talking about imitating Jesus, that as we rethink how we can fit the message of, of Jesus, the message of him crucified, the gospel, and contextualize it to the place where we live, D.C. metro area, um, how, would, how would we do that? And we started out by saying, first and foremost, we have to imitate Jesus. We have to do what he did as he walked the earth. So this week, we're going to talk about evangelism. And... Uh, this has to be, uh, it's going to be, I'm going to pressure a little bit. Um, so let's get to the scripture, and then, uh, and then we'll see what we have for us in evangelism. And then I'll remember what that second week was. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. This will be uh, good verses for us to read together. All right, let's read out loud. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, for reason for the hope that is in you. Verse 16, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Let's pray. Father, we are delighted to be together today, and what a, a, a challenging scripture we're going to tackle today in, in many sense of the word. But we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to, to see what you would have for us today. God, we pray for all of those churches that are meeting right now in Kingstown and the surrounding area, that you would greet them, that you would meet them. God, that they would be changed in your presence, that your gospel would go forth, that the men of God would speak boldly, proclaiming your gospel. Uh, Lord, I pray especially for us as we uh, tackle this topic of evangelism, that you just blow a fresh wind of us, a fresh wind of, of, of revelation, really. Um, oftentimes we come and just tell you to help us to see what the word says. God, today I pray that you would breathe uh, courage and breathe faith, breathe, Lord God, um, a sense that we are on mission with you. And uh, I pray that you do that in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Um, as I said, sort of in my prayer, this has got to be one of the uh, one of the most challenging verses in in the Bible, especially if you consider yourself among the cohort of people that, uh, that don't like to evangelize. And, you know, there's some of, us, some of those uh, in here right now, I would, I would imagine. Um, I think there's really two kinds of people, those who dread sharing their faith because you consider yourself, you know, not, not um, embarrassed about Jesus, but you just consider yourself uh, among those who are introverted and rather not just be put on display in front of people that you don't know and possibly even some that you that you do. And then you have those others who like to share their faith, but just have a hard time starting up gospel conversations. And we are those people here in this room. And so just let's let's acknowledge there's an elephant in the room that we're going to talk about today. Um, he's not going to leave because actually we're going to talk about him for two weeks 
And the elephant is this five-syllable long word, evangelism. Okay? Evangelism. Uh, I think evangelism has gotten a bad rap. Honestly, it has. We make it worse than it actually is. Um, think, about, think about what you think about when you think about evangelism. Um, from the, you know, the drive-by shootings that we do, knocking on somebody's door and presenting Jesus, or uh, perhaps you are in an EE class and you call somebody up and you talk to them on the phone. Um, I don't know, maybe you've been on a missions trip and you did a little, little bit of street evangelism, witnessing and, and preaching through a megaphone, doing some miming, those kinds of things. Um, how about this? The guy that holds up the John 3.16 sign that you see on TV at the, you know, in the end zone at a football game. Or this one, I, I'm always amazed by this one. The crazy looking guy with just the wild hair. He's got an A-frame on and it has all these scripture verses on it. And he's shouting out, repent or go to hell. Y'all ever see that? Christians are hesitant to evangelize, I think, because uh, we think that if we, if we present Jesus, then people are going to think that we're fanatical or they were just outright crazy. They were wacky. And the other side of it is those on the receiving end, uh, they don't want to receive those who are evangelizing because they think we're wacky and fanatical or they think we're going to try and sell them something that they just don't want, some other commodity. So the elephant in the room is this idea uh, of evangelism, and the, the elephant's not going to leave, and so this is the deal. All Christians are supposed to share their faith. All Christians are supposed to evangelize. And so the question for us all um, is, is not, you know, should we do it, but, but why we don't do it. Before we get to that, though, let me give you some scripture verses that, that encourages us to, uh, you know, to be the people of God and to share our faith, to share what we believe about Jesus. Paul pray, uh, Peter prays in Acts chapter 4, verses 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Uh, this is Peter speaking um, post-Pentecost. And they're just having a, a series of opportunities to speak with Pharisees and Sadducees and to see the church grow just by talking about Jesus and him crucified. And in this particular uh, scene, um, Peter has just told the, the Sadducees, it, you might not want us to preach about Jesus, but we are we can't help but do it because it's the, he, we are compelled to talk about that great thing that God has done. For us, And so he says, um, Lord, empower us, embolden us to speak your word. That's what we do when we evangelize. Uh, Paul writes in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And of course, this was Paul's exhortation to Timothy, who was a pastor. And uh, we can say that this word was sim- uh, singularly for him. But really, um, all, the, all the, the scripture is... Um, to people, but it's for us. And so Paul is uh, here reminding us that part of our ministry is to do the work of an evangelist. I love this, ver- this next verse here. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death to the other, a fragrance from life to life. I love it when I think about this. It's like we're in a parade, 
and Jesus is, Jesus is in front. We got horns. We're dancing almost like David when he was bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. And, um, and emanating from us is an aroma that is life for those who, who Jesus has uh, claimed for himself. And out from our lips are the praises of the God who loved us and, and died on the cross to save us. So we are supposed to evangelize. Why don't we evangelize? I, I think I've, I mean, I've got you guys pegged because I know myself. I've come up with eight excuses. There's, there's a lot of them. I just got eight, and these are from my own life. Excuse number one, uh, it could cause problems at work. Very, uh, there, there are probably those of you who work in environments where the policy is you cannot proselytize. I mean, you cannot come and talk about your faith because we live in a pluralistic society, and you might, um, uh, you might offend someone by talking about your own, your own faith. That probably is the case. Excuse number two would be this. Other things are more urgent. I don't like that one, but I mean, have, haven't you put other priorities in your life over an opportunity that God has given you to, to, to share the gospel, to talk about Jesus with someone that you know uh, might, have a, uh, might need a word from you about him? Excuse number three would be this. I don't know any non-Christians. And of course, there's this, this, this the weird thing that happens when we come to faith. And that weird thing is, I mean, we, we, we go inward. All of our, we, we get rid of all our Christian friends. We get rid of our Christian music. We go into our Christian huddle. We sing Christian songs. We read the Bible. We just, you know, we live a life around Christians. And that's not bad. Uh, God wants to be in community with the people of faith. But... Jesus said he came not for the godly, he came for the, the sinner. He came for those who needed to hear uh, what he had to say. Excuse number four, people don't want to hear. We can couple that one with excuse number five, they, they won't be interested. I'm, I'm not even going to explain those. Excuse number six, they probably already know the gospel. You ever heard, you've been around a person that talks about God, they might even mention that they prayed, and, and you try and discern, I mean, does this person know God, or, or is it just like rhetoric? Is it just... Um, empty words that he's saying. And sometimes we, we're, we can't tell if a person actually knows God or not. And so we choose not to, to go the route of, of talking about Jesus in front of them, at least in a salvific way. Excuse number seven, it probably won't work. It being uh, my opportunities, my attempts to share the gospel. And excuse number eight, I doubt they'll believe. You know what? We can lump these, these eight and probably more into a couple categories. I would say the first three really are um, plain old disobedience and unbelief. It's my disobedience to what the Bible tells me I should do in regards to um, being a witness for the God that loves me. And then just unbelief, unbelief that if I share, God is going to do a work. And then um, probably excuse number four through eight is good old fear of man. Fear of man. I, I'm either trying to people please and not offend, or I am not courageous enough to let somebody know what I believe. So before we go any farther, let's just define evangelism. And I've got three ideas for us in this regard. The first is this. According to the Bible, converting people is not in our power. And that should, I mean, that should be a relief for some of us in the room. We can't save anybody. Only Jesus saves. And evangelism may not be defined in terms of results, but only in terms of the faithfulness to the message preached. That says to me that we have a message 
and we are to convey the message when we are given opportunity and we can just let go of of trying to make someone believe what we believe because there's no power in our words. The, the power is in Jesus' words. The second thing is, uh, is a quote by uh, author and theologian John Stott. He's one of my favorite. He says, to evangelize does not mean to win converts. This really uh, falls in suit with what I just said in the, in the words of the Bible, but simply to announce the good news, irrespective of the results. And so, again, we don't have to worry about the, the after effect of, of sharing our faith, of telling someone about Jesus, of entering gospel conversations. God is in charge of, of really watering the seeds that we plant and bringing someone to faith. Uh, the, the power of the, the gospel of God is, is in the gospel. Here is a formal definition, and this is from the Luzon Covenant of 74. To evangelize is to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead according to the scriptures, and that as the reigning Lord, he now offers the forgiveness of sins and the liberating gift of the Spirit to all who repent and believe. And so I, I get to be a herald of good news. It's not my message. It's God's message. He's, he's changed my life by it, and I get to simply tell others what that message is, that Jesus is God, that he incarnated himself, that he lived a, a great life on earth, the life that I couldn't live but should have. He went to the cross, died the death that I deserved, and God raised him from the dead, and he is in heaven, and that God saves, and he can save all who put their faith in him. I get to herald that message, and God takes care of the conversion and the salvation part. I think the truth is we live in a different world today than the, the world that came up with uh, evangelism ex- explosion and the uh, four spiritual laws and tent revi- you know, the Billy Graham tent revivals and, and all those things. Are those things bad? Absolutely not. Should we, treat, uh, should we witness to those who we come across? Absolutely. Should we take opportunities for the gospel? Absolutely. But we live in a different day. At least that's what I am um, helping us to sort of see in the culture that we live in here um, in the, you know, the, the capital of our nation. Um, I would say that many current evangelistic approaches assume a Christian culture, a Christian subculture, that we are in the midst of a people that if you say church, if you say God, that you say Jesus are immediately connecting dots and understand what you're saying. But if the statistics are right, then we are increasingly living in a post-Christian context in most of the Western world. And if you live here in a D.C. metro, this is a very pluralistic society. You've seen it around you. Not only are people of various ethnicities and religions, but many, uh, many have never stepped through the doors of a church. And those are the people that we have to contend with. And those really are the people that our message would be would be for. Um, many people are biblically illiterate, I would say. They're biblically, Ill- biblically illiterate. If I were to say, Jesus loves you, Jesus died for your sins, there's a greater chance than not that many people that you say that to would have nothing experientially to connect that to. That means that our start point can't be, um, it can't be, where we would normally start in terms of a Christian worldview. We have to come from a different angle. Guilt, faith, sin, and 
God are all empty and confused concepts to many people here in the culture that we live in. Many of them won't be converted in the 10 minutes that you could take to sit down with them, um, write out uh, the gospel on the back of a napkin. So we have to come up with a different perspective, a different way of, of, of bridging the gap, of, of closing the gap between their experience with church and God and where they are now. We have to nudge them a little bit. And so how do we nudge them? Think about this. If we were to put um, the people that we know who live around us and those that, you know, that we see in our culture right here in D.C. Metro on a scale of 1 to 10, um, the, 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 the prominent evangelistic approaches that we use today assume that people are around the 6, 7, 8 end of the scale. The, and that would be the end of I know about church, I've been, I've heard Jesus, I sort of know what he did. And I think that's probably faulty thinking. Because when we put them on that end of the scale, we are assuming that we can introduce a Christian worldview, we can talk about Jesus and church, and they, they get it, and they start connecting dots. What I'm saying is that people that we meet in our culture are around the one or two area. They have absolutely no idea. And even if they do have an absolute idea, they've got their own thoughts about what Christianity is and what it should be. So what do we do? I mean, how do we approach these people? How do we talk about the gospel? How do we enter conversations about Jesus so that they know what we know and can be given an opportunity to to trust, to know and to love the God that we serve? Uh, My contention is that we have to put the context of what we know about God and the gospel into an everyday vernacular. And that means we have to become everyday missionaries. And so that's really what I want to talk, talk to you about today. An everyday missionary. Um, turn one page over in your Bibles from 1 Peter 3. We're actually going to go back to 1 Peter 2. And this is a familiar passage to you because we just um, studied this passage together a few weeks ago. And we're going to look at it one more time just to talk about a few concepts in regards to the church and her mission. So I'm going to read starting in verse 9 and go through verse 12 and uh, suggest a few ideas to you from this passage in regards to being an everyday missionary. Verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter is using Old Testament references to talk about the new covenant people, people of God. He's talking about the church, uh, that we um, have become the community of God. He's laying out for us, I, I see in this passage, that we are on mission with God. That we are on mission. He is presupposing a strategy that as, as God's corporate identity on the earth, as, as the church, that we should do life together, that we should commend the goodness of God's kingdom together, that we absolutely are on mission with God as, as his people. Look at verse 9. There's a lot in verse nine. What I want you to hone in on is our three words, royal priesthood. Okay, God has taken a people who weren't his people and 
given us mercy, and then he's made of us a, a new race, and then he's made us a royal priesthood, carved us into a holy nation. And what that says to me is he's made us people who serve as priests to a people who don't know God. What does a priest do? A priest mediates. Okay, that's what he does. He mediates between God and men. And this verse, in verse 9, it says that God has made us a royal priesthood. We have the opportunity to mediate between God and people who don't know Jesus. Verse 12, skipping all the way down to verse 12, says that our calling is to attract the world to God by the quality of the life they witness from us, that we should live such good lives among pagans that they, they see even when, um, we, when, even when they do wrong, they see good in us, and they are attracted to the God that we serve. And the interesting thing about verse 12 is, verse 12, when you back up and look at verse 11, is uh, Peter puts this in the context of being sojourners and exiles, that God has made us sojourners and exiles in a land that's not ours, and from that he wants to cause us, make us to help people who don't know God know him. This sojourner in exile is an interesting concept. A sojourner is someone who stays somewhere temporarily. It's, it's someone that's passing through. And someone who's in exile is someone away from their native land, and they're, they're in that native land either by choice or by compulsion. They've been forced to do that. And so really what I think Peter is unfolding for us neatly in this concept goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 when we're introduced to Abraham. And so uh, God called Abraham out of Ur of the the Chaldeans and told him to go into a land that he would show them. And he told Abraham, I'm going to bless you that all the nations through you would be a blessing. We see that come to to pass. It's, It's fulfilled. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus lived the life that he lived before he went to heaven, gave us the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And he says, I want you to make disciples of all nations. And so in a roundabout way, the promise of Abraham fulfilled in Jesus as we trust in Jesus. We are the seed of Abraham. We're we're not slaves. We're sons. Galatians 3 tells us. And we get to be a blessing to the nations by making disciples and being present in the in the lands and the places that God would put us. And so, in a sense, historically, God has taken his people and sent them as sojourners into exile into those places that he wanted to affect with by his presence. And in a sense, I I think God has done that with us today. Um, When I when I to to think about an example that um, proves this true, I think of Daniel. You guys remember the story of Daniel, Daniel's lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Um, Back up. Okay, the beginning of Daniel, it sort of tells his history. Daniel was an affluent young Jewish man who um, was just living his life with his affluent family um, in Judah at the time when Nebuchadnezzar was going and was going to subdue and take, uh, you know, take, take captive uh, all of, of Judah and bring them uh, to Babylon. And so, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all those and, and many others end up being servants of the king. And Daniel was, uh, was set aside. He was given the king's food to eat. He was uh, crafted to, to eventually serve 
uh, served Nebuchadnezzar. And he was immersed in the culture, Babylon. He was immersed in a pagan culture. He was taught their language. He was educated in their mysticism and to, to think how they thought. And the neat thing is that we see in Daniel is that Daniel was able to submerge himself in that Babylonian culture and even serve Nebuchadnezzar, but he didn't defile himself by the worldly culture that he was in. So much so that, ne- that Daniel ended up blessing Nebuchadnezzar without, um, I mean, really being very direct with him about wh- who God had made him and what God had brought him to do. And I think what we see in, in Daniel is we see the tension of being faithful to God as a sojourner and, and, and in exile. Daniel was keenly aware of who he was. Daniel was keenly aware of what God had sent him to do. And Daniel represented God faithfully through all of that. I think this is a great parallel. God desires that you and I represent him as sojourners in exile right where we are. So if you're in Kingstown, he's called you a sojourner in exile in in Kingstown. If you live in False Church, if you live at Fort Meade, if you live in Woodbridge, God has called us as sojourners in exile, in those places where we live. And he wants us, like 2 Corinthians 4, to be uh, on parade for him. And we've got, you know, sometimes we do it subversively, but other times we've got horns and we've got banners and we're waving the flags for Jesus, letting people know that he's there. And they are sensing from us the aroma of, of Christ. And it's aroma that goes as a sacrifice to God, but more importantly, it's aroma that is saving folk. It's saving folk. Peter doesn't stop there, though. Um, actually, he, I mean, throughout this whole chapter two, Peter is connecting this idea of, of we are the community, we're the church, the community of God that's on mission with God. As we continue in chapter 13, you're going to have to look down at your Bibles. I don't think it's going to be on the screen. Uh, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish folk. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And so in uh, in these few verses, really what Peter is exhorting us to do is be on mission with God in the workplace. He's talking to people who are servants. Okay. The root word is slave. He's talking about somebody who is working for someone else who is in authority. Okay, and so our context would be I'm going to work. I've got an authority. Somebody's going to pay me a paycheck. I got to do what they say. And he says, um, honor them, respect them. And by that, you're doing the will of God by doing good. And then he continues in verse 18. We aren't going to read all of this uh, through 25. He talks about a different realm that we are to be on mission with God. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do good. I I just messed that up. All right. The first part was talking about the government. Okay, serving the government, serving that place, those rulers, those in authority over you. The second part is talking about um, really your workplace. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do good and gentle, but also uh, to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjust. I'm going to stop there. What he's calling us to do is 
is to, to work and be good representatives for God, even in tough places, even when you have to suffer. Because when you do that, um, you are you are uh, not causing attention to yourself, but you are highlighting the goodness of the God that you serve. And that shows really through all, all, all the way through verse 25. And then lastly, um, as we cross over into chapter three, he, talks, he starts talking about the home. And this, uh, this example really is uh, about uh, an, a believing woman, a believing wife that has an unbelieving husband. She sa- he says, likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their lives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Skip, skipping down to chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, really, he's taking this idea and he is passing it through really this whole thought of the opportunity for us. God has called us individually as people to trust in Jesus. And as soon as he calls us as individuals, he immerses us into the life of the church. He calls a people that are far away from God, people that don't know God into the family of God. He extends mercy to us and then gives us an opportunity to to be on mission with him. And he says, you know, I want you to show forth my glory. Show it forth in every aspect of your life. I want you to show it forth as, uh, as you show honor and respect to the governments of the cities and the places that you, that you live and dwell in. And then I want you to show forth my glory, that you would be the church in the midst of your workplace, that, that you are you know, a person that, that goes and serves in many different ways over someone that has authority. And then I want you to also show my glory in in your home life, especially in in ways where it's, it's not a good situation. Life is not perfect. You are serving God and you are possibly paired with or around those in your family, extended family who don't know God. Be respectful, show honor and thus glorify God. I think in each of these venues, we see two specific things. We see that we're called to good works. We're supposed to do good to those, even those that don't do good to us. And then we're supposed to be submissive and have respect for others. I think most importantly, Peter is exhorting us that our good works have a missional impact, that we have a mission to do. I think the other thing to notice is where the mission takes place. And I've said this a number of times, so you see it by now. The mission takes place in the neighborhood. The mission can take place in the workplace. The mission can take place, it should take place in in your home. What he hasn't talked about necessarily is is that the mission only takes place right here. When we come together and gather on Sundays, that, that this is the only place that God's glory can be seen. This is the only place that we can glorify God. This is the only place that, um, that we can show forth uh, his glory and, and put him on display. And so let's, let's, let's just say this. When we think about evangelism, a lot of times, as, and you know, going back to what I said when I opened up my, uh, the sermon today, a lot of times we think about sharing our faith to someone that we don't know. And, you know, sometimes that sometimes we're gung ho to do that. And some, you know, most times we shy away from that. Sometimes our picture of evangelism is, you know, wacky and fanatical when I think Peter is helping us to see that we have an opportunity to be 
the church to be on mission in the, in the ordinary places that we are in everyday life, everyday missionary, that when you go to work, when you're at home, when you're in your neighborhood, you have an opportunity to be on mission with God. And he's exhorting us, do that, do that. Okay, so to be on mission with Jesus in everyday aspects of our life really is about evangelizing. I want to give you a couple practical applications to, uh, to see what I'm talking about. All right, I've got two for you. The first is uh, I'm not, you know, I was encouraged. Someone sent me a letter, actually an email, telling me that they had um, taken the challenge from last week's sermon, and this was Sunday night I got this. They had already... Um, uh, did the things that I'd asked them to do in terms of looking at the culture around us. That's what it was, Abby. It was gospel and culture. All right. So imitating Jesus, gospel and culture, evangelism today, next week, evangelism part two. And then we're going to look at loving your neighbor. Um, over 40. Get ready. All right. So um, what I want you to see here is just a, a, a few practical application, um, application steps. Think of these activities Think of the activities that you do in the mundane parts of your, of your day, okay? And what I want you to do in that is see where you could add one of these other activities uh, in terms of uh, a component to, uh, to be missional, to, to be on mission with God. Um, the first thing I, th- I would ask you to do is what do you think about what you do on a daily basis? What are your daily routines? All right, you get up. You might uh, eat breakfast. Um, you likely travel to work by some means. You eat some meals. You might do some chores, walk the dog, play with your kids. What do you do on a daily basis? Write those down. Second, what do you do on a weekly basis? Uh, I know our family, we go grocery shopping at least once a week. Actually, probably every other day. Um, watching your favorite TV programs, exercising, you know, going out for a jog. Uh, some of the things that you might do monthly, a monthly routine. Uh, this isn't me, but some of y'all might garden. I, I might pick weeds once a month. Uh, getting, in, uh, getting a haircut, you know, uh, Jonathan, David, and I, we go to Fort Belvoir every other week on a Saturday. I mean, we, we, without fail, we go to Fort Belvoir every other Saturday to get a haircut. Okay, what are the things that you do on a monthly basis? Go to movies. Um, you could actually have a very long list of activities. Just think about them. What do you do? Daily, weekly, monthly. And what I would ask you to do is see what components you could add. Firstly, a community component. Are there opportunities in your daily, weekly, and monthly routine that you could add, um, that you could offer and invite someone from the community of faith? That would be someone from your community group, somebody from church, uh, a Christian that you know at your workplace, somebody in your neighborhood that knows Jesus, that you all would be, um, it would just be, uh, it would be like iron sharpening iron. That just hanging out with someone would be a great opportunity to, to be a, in kindred spirit with someone that already knows the Lord, and you can exhort each other in just the time that you get to spend together. The second thing would be, uh, could you add a missional component by involving someone that doesn't, um, that doesn't believe? There's a guy in my neighborhood that we connected at, uh, at a um, cookout that our neighborhood had, um, few, few months back, and we see each other running. You know, he runs two or three times a week. I run two, two or three times a week. And I approached him. I said, you know, you run. I run. I mean, we're running at the same time. How about we run together? 
Uh, he doesn't, you know, he knows about church. He knows about our church. I've already invited him. But he doesn't, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's a Christian quite yet. And one of my goals is to start running with this guy that I might, you know, just be the fragrance of, of Jesus in his life and we can become friends. Thirdly, um, are there parts of your routine, weekly, daily, weekly, monthly, that could have an overtly evangelistic or gospel-centered uh, component to it that God would give you, that you would pray for, and that God would give you opportunities to enter in a gospel conversation where you actually say the name Jesus with somebody and talk about him dying on the cross and what that means, what that means to you. Clearly, not everything that, uh, that we do can be done with someone else. And I would say it's, you know, just let's, let's admit it. There's sometimes when we don't want anybody with you in some of the things that you do. Honest? Okay, let's be honest. Uh, but there are many opportunities in our day. We don't have to add anything to our schedule or day that we can invite somebody into our world and let, um, you know, let, be on mission with Jesus in, in that regard. Practical application number two would be this. Um, I want us to see being on mission not as something that we do, but as who we are. Mission should be the way that we live, not something that we add on to life. And in that regard, I'm not trying to get you to do more stuff. Um, I have enough stuff to do in my own life. And I know you all are as busy or busier than I am. But what I would encourage you to do is there are some things that you are already doing that you could, um, again, look at it from a different perspective and, and, uh, and perhaps be on mission again with Jesus as you do them. The first would be this, eat with non-Christians. Most of us eat three meals a day. Some of y'all eat a few more. Okay. For those of you that are, that, I mean, actually the healthy ones in here, you, you're eating smaller meals, uh, you know, multiple times a day, which is better for you. Your body can, can chew it, digest it, get rid of it, and you're hungry two hours later. Um, I don't do that. I just cram, I just cram three, three or four times a day. Um, eat with non-Christians. You know, for most of us, two of the three meals that we eat are with our family, breakfast and, and dinner possibly. Uh, but there's one meal a day usually that we're either out at work at lunch and we have an opportunity to find someone who we know has no connection to God or church, doesn't know Jesus, and we can just befriend them and, uh, and be, uh, be Jesus to them. Not in a weird, wacky way, but just uh, being a friend. Second, I would say walk, don't drive. That's the, that's the blessing of living in uh, an urban area. Right here in the midst of where we are, there's three grocery stores, there's three Starbucks, there's a furniture store, Walmart, Dunkin' Donuts, two Dunkin' Donuts. You know, there's all this stuff right in the midst of us that we can just walk to. Uh, my kids wanted McFlurries from McDonald's. You know, the McDonald's is like two football fields over that way. And they wanted the drive to drive to get a McFlurry. I said, all right, so if we're going to, if we're going to like throw down 200 calories worth of McFlurries, we, we're at least going to walk. And, you know, they, they huffed and hawed a little bit. But we walked to McDonald's. Actually, we walked to the grocery store. We got a few things for dinner. We treated them by getting a McFlurry. And uh, it, was a neat, it was a neat trip because we met people along the way just saying, hey, the folk walking down. And, you know, if you do that habitually, you'll, get a, you'll, you'll develop a pattern. And you'll get to know the people in your neighborhood. The third would be be a regular. And I'm not talking about going to the bathroom. Be a regular. It, it's those things that you do habitually. I go to the I go to the barber shop every two weeks to cut my gray hair off, you know, because my hair's not growing on top anymore. But my gray hair is growing in frantic; it's like coming out all over the place. So me and the boys go get our hair cut, and 
you know, I'm starting to develop a relationship. They, they know the boys. They know me. And I, you can immediately enter into conversations that you've developed over time. You pick up right where you left off. And this is a great opportunity to, to at some point, get into a gospel-centered conversation. The fourth would be talk to your coworkers. I mean, how hard can that be? Um, we were in community group this week. And actually, one of the members of our community group said, this can be really hard. In our culture, this is what we do when we go to work. Uh, we, just, we just start working. We don't say, hey, how you doing? How was your night? What would you do over the weekend? We just start working. We walk up to somebody and it's like, well, um, I need you to do this, 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 and this, without even entertaining into a friend-to-friend kind of a familial conversation. What would happen if you were just like, I- I'm sorry, I- can we get to that in a second? How, I mean, how are you, how's life going for you? I mean, what, what's going on in your life? Just pause and, and change the topic and, and force people to get to know you as you get to know them. Um, another thing that we can do is volunteer. You know, and we're going to get to do this in our community groups um, as a missional arm of, of being in community with each other. And I'm talking about volunteering for not making up stuff to do, but there's so many things already going on in our culture, in the cities where we live, that we could be a part of and just bring some of God's glory to it. The next would be pick a hobby with a non-Christian. Of course, I, I run two or three times a week. And, you know, we can get into a Christian huddle and, and all of us, and that's fun to do. I, I've done that quite a few times. Just, uh, you know, guys getting together and, and doing that. But do you have a hobby that you could find somebody else that doesn't know Jesus and you could hobby together? Um, what about participating in city events? There's a lot of things that go on right here where we live, uh, plenty of things, at, uh, especially in Kingstown. And we have the opportunity to, to partner with what's already going on. And lastly, I would say serve your neighbors. Um, plenty of opportunities. To, to just be kind. Uh, my neighbor is moving. Uh, it's, it's actually one of my neighbors that I like. And uh, I saw him put a sign up, and I was like, oh, my gosh, where are you? I did this. I was like, where are y'all going? I like you. And, uh, and you know, they're moving to Springfield because they want a house with a little bit of backyard for their, for their kids. And, you know, I just said, I said, well, tell you what, I, I'll be free labor for you. Uh, I'm so sad that you're leaving. I said, I'll be free labor for you. Um, and you have plenty of opportunities to do uh, that as well. The last thing that I would tell you is um, to be an evangelist means that we start with being an everyday, everyday missionary. And to be an everyday missionary, it, it's not a secret, but I think the starting point is, is loving Jesus, loving people, and, and loving life. And that brings us back to 1 Peter 3. So let's read this verse one more time, and I'm almost done. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We're not going to unpack all of this. Um, we're going to finish this thought next week with these same, same verses. But what I get out of the first five or six words of 1 Peter 3.15 is love Jesus, love people. In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. I think this short phrase means that we have the opportunity to, to, to turn everything over to Jesus, that from our heart, loving him is, is submitting to him uh, in each and every way that we possibly can. It's, it's living only to please Jesus, to, to glorify Jesus. It means to, to fear displeasing him rather than what we often do is worry what other men would, would think of us and say to us um, as, you know, as we live lives for Jesus. And so if um, 
to, to be an effective evangelist, if to do that we have to first be an effective missionary, then I think the first step in evangelism is, is loving Jesus. You know, enthusiasm for evangelism begins not, um, not how we think it does, like, you know, just like, like wrenching this out, white-knuckling it out. I've got, you know, I want to do it, I've got to do it, but I don't want to do it. I think it begins with just loving Jesus. You ever notice how somebody that's enthusiastic about anything, whether it's knitting or going to a movie, kids outside playing, riding their scooters, playing basketball, those things that we get excited about, why are we excited? I mean, it just, it's just something we like to do. And I think that when we are around people who are excited about something, who are enthusiastic about something, that enthusiasm wears off on us. And that's really what I, you know, I pray that for myself. And if somebody asked me sometime this week, I mean, Jeff, what do you pray about when you pray for yourself in the transit these days? And I pray this. I pray, you know, one thing, that God would continue to give me vision, his vision for our church. I pray that God would help me see what he sees when he sees the area that we live in. And then I pray that God would give me passion, passion for Jesus. I want people to see in me a love for God that would rub off on them, that they would be interested in the God that I serve just because they see the craziness in me over the God that that we serve. And I pray that for you, too. I think the key to being an effective evangelist, to be an effective everyday missionary is just being in love, on fire, but just being enthusiastic for Jesus. And I'm praying for us that we would that we would be just that. The second thing, you know, if if we are if we love Jesus, then we'll love the things that Jesus loved. And the thing that Jesus loved, he loves you. He loves people. And so step two in evangelism is loving people. Um, we can't see people as as his commodity. I mean, there's my target. I'm going to preach Jesus to him. I'm going to convert him. And, and then I'll go off to my next target. OK, I think that Jesus wants us to see people and see what he sees. He sees a heart that perhaps needs his love and his care and his mercy and his grace. And he wants us to be a friend to those kinds of people. He doesn't want us to to see them as a mission. He wants us to see them as people that he loves and that we should love as well. I think our love for others should drive us to care for their needs, their physical, their social, their emotional needs. But a gospel-centered love recognizes that people's greatest need is to know Jesus, is to know God through Jesus. A true love for people will always mean introducing them to Jesus. And, and I'm praying that for myself as well, and I'm praying that for you, that we would be people who want to love people by showing them Jesus. And this, is a, this, is, this thing right here is a struggle for some of us, loving people. Because people are messy and hurt people hurt people. It just happens. It happens in the church. It happens in our neighborhood. It definitely happens uh, as close to us as people in our own family. Isn't it sometimes the heart? I mean, you get hurt the most with people who love you right in your own family. But um, perhaps this is a place for confession and repentance for us. If you find it hard to just love people because people are messy and hurt people hurt people and you've been hurt by those people, then pray. Pray that God would give you a heart to love like he loves and that he would tear down your inhibitions, that he would help you to, that he would bind up your wounds and he would give you a love for the people that he loves. Lastly, I would say that um, 
the third step in evangelism, I don't get this from the passage. I'm not getting it from it, but I need a third love. Okay, love Jesus, love people, love life. You know, we should be people that are um, that are not half empty, but half full. We should be people that are enthusiastic because we have the message of life. We have the good news. We are carriers of the good news. We see a world that's going to hell. But we all I mean, we've read the back of the book. We've read the back and Jesus is going to be on. He's on the throne and he's not coming off and we get to live with him forever. And so let's let's be enthusiastic about the opportunity that we have to live life on this planet and the opportunity to share that great life that God gives us with people who don't have it right now. I'll conclude with this thought. We must see ourselves as missionaries in our culture, building friendships for the purpose of showing and sharing the love of Jesus with lost people, with people who don't know God. And as we function as missionaries, then our evangelism is done by the whole church instead of, you know, just thinking that we have to have a crusade or a program to get people to come to faith. We don't need that. We just need to be who God has called us in the called us to be in the everyday portions of our lives. What I want us to get through remission, this think, rethinking the church and, and her mission is, uh, is to encourage ourselves and to realize that missions is about not something that we do, but it's something that we are. Okay, the mission is us. We are on mission with Jesus, and we want to do that every day. So let's go out. Be good missionaries. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you've called us to be the people of God, that you've called us as individuals. You've extended mercy to us, but you've put us in the church. And that's through your church that you want to glorify yourself. And Lord God, you send us as sojourners and you send us into exile, into places that, into the places that we are. Um, Lord, I really believe Acts 17 is right, that that you have prescribed the boundaries that we live in, that you've put us in these neat communities, in these neighborhoods, even in the houses that we live in now. Yeah, we made the decision, but God, you're working behind it all. You put it in schools and in workplaces and in jobs and, and in the families that we dwell in. And God, you did that so that we would be your mouthpieces, that we would be your representatives, that we would have opportunity, Lord God, to be your hands and your feet to people who don't know God. So, Lord, use us, empower us by your spirit, give us courage where we lack it. God, I pray that you would help us to see that we've, called, we've been called as part of our mission to proclaim, to declare your goodness in the, in the realms of life that we live in. Lord, it's, it's our responsibility to, to proclaim the message of the gospel to those that you give us the opportunity to, to speak with it about. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Lord God, forgive us for our, for our disobedience. And Lord, I encourage us, encourage us that we would love Jesus and that enthusiasm would wear off on others, that we would love people. We wouldn't see them as a commodity to toss around, to do something with, but we would see them as people that you love and that you give us the opportunity to love as well. Make us good missionaries. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.